to a post-Frightfest Britflix podcast. Today I've got with me Dominic Brunt, director of Bay. Hello, Dominic. Hi, Stuart. You all right? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm glad I got to meet you at the festival, as opposed to usually what happens is I'm talking to people on Skype and we've never seen each other before in our lives. <laughs> we met at the festival, didn't we? we the, uh, I don't think you were... Um, uh, I was at the bar again uh, during the festival when in between one. I don't know how many, how many films did you manage to see? I think I saw about 15 this year, which is quite a fallow year for me. Well, you did better than me in terms of the event. I mean, I've, I've managed to watch more than that, including screeners that I got to see before the festival, but yeah. um, I probably did about 12. Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. Do you get screeners then? Are you one of these yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I've never been one of them people, you know, and I'd really like to be. I'd, I'd like to get a load of DVDs through the post every now and again. Well, you get you get on you get Vimeo links now. You don't get you don't get physical yeah. product. There's none. Of, there's none of that anymore. Do you not snide them on to your friends? No, no, no. Because I don't want to be the one that gets caught. Yeah. For for a, for a film just suddenly getting watched ten thousand times, you know, it's not really yeah, worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, uh, You know, yeah. A bit... It's a shame that that's that's one of the the, uh, the downfalls of it as well. When we re- we released the first movie um, before dawn, yeah, and then literally that night we went to check and. Just just the sheer amount of streaming sites was just incredible. I mean, they just they just went ridiculous. You want people to see your film, but also, I mean, you know, how many films are going to be made now? You know, it's a, it's a small independent film, and uh, Metrodome have invested that money into you. And people have got to, eat and, you know, we have to pay people at work for us and get that money back. And then, uh, but nope, they just seem to think. No, it's frightening. It's frightening how quick it happens, isn't it? It's, it's. Yeah. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that night, literally that night, somebody bought the DVD, burnt it, and then the, all the other sites had burnt it off him, and then that was it. It was out there. You know. I think maybe maybe it's a conversation I should get on the podcast one time with some distributors about the sort of the damage that may or may not be doing in terms yeah. of. Uh, yeah. Because you can't you can't you can't really have a an industry that grows on the fact that everybody makes incrementally less, so there's nothing yeah. to invest in new stuff. No, no, and then, you know, it's, it's not, it's, I mean, it's, as, as technology gets cheaper, though, um, uh, and films get, get cheaper to be made, but the, the thing that you can do with film is, well, now it's so much more malleable, but then yeah. if it's always going to be given away at the end of it, you know, there's, there's no impetus for anybody to make it. You know? No, 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 indeed, indeed. Well, look, let's, uh, let's get on the positives then. So, you, you, yeah. you were premiering Bait at, at Frightfest. It was a London premiere, yeah. It was already shown in Montreal and uh, Leeds and some, uh, done Cannes and Berlin as well. Oh. I think Texas it had been in as well, yeah. Okay, okay. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis? For those people that weren't at Frightfest, do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to uh, yeah. what Bates about? It's about two sex and dorm, and they uh, own or run a cafe stall in in Todmorden in, in in Yorkshire and they want to better their lives and maybe open up a cafe in a shop uh, and they have a business plan for this but they keep getting turned down by the banks so and eventually they 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 meet a man who may be able to help unfortunately he's a loan shark and once he starts once he gets his teeth into them forgive the pun um, then it all goes wrong, and then we just take that to its worst case scenario. And it's kind of based on four or five true life events 
uh, that happened, one in Sheffield, one in Cheshire, one in Poland, and one in Indonesia. And we kind of used them as the template and then um, ran away with it and, and remembered, you know, that it was uh, you're entertaining kind of a horror audience and thriller audience. So uh, it, it becomes that, uh, you know, the special effects side of as well. Okay, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, I think I think uh, I don't know if you've, I'm not sure if you saw my uh, the, the review I did for Bait, but uh, I yeah, was. Yeah, I did. I did. Of course, I did. That's why I retweeted it. I was over the moon. Thank you. It's all right. Yeah. Well, I just I just to say that I think I think you've definitely uh, from my point of view the best bad guy at Fright Fest was your uh, loan shark Jeremy, played ah, wonderfully by uh, yeah. Jonathan Sling- Slinger. Yeah, he's great, and he's just spent ten years at the RFC playing like Richard the Third, the Bears, Hamlet, and. He's been there, darling, and, and, and as he was leaving there, we grabbed him while he was cheap. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, it was just fantastic. I knew, because I, I think it would have been easy to wreck the film as well. If they'd cast someone that could just play a gangster that walked along and started doing the gangster things. And, and they're, all, they're all over British films at the moment as well. Oh, yeah, they're, still yeah, making, yeah. they're still really successful, but it would have ruined this film, and it's not what I was interested in. I didn't want a caricature. Um, I wanted a three-dimensional person, and also we've got to believe that he's kind of a goodie at the beginning, and then twist, you know, part of the twist halfway. Sorry, I'm getting spoilers away now, but um, the way into the film, you realise that not always as it may seem. Uh, and I just knew that Jonathan would be the only person to do that, really. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 carries off menace without ever looking like he's being menace menacing. If that's for want of a better expression. No, no, I, I understand that because there uh, was a saying that we used to use as well uh, that villains are only villains because they like being villains, you know, and he's, he actually enjoys it, you know. So even when there's a gun pulled out, he just—he didn't just like any British film with a gun pulled out, and they go, like, "Will you look at it and all this?" It, mm. it had to be the shock. Of, oh my God, there is a gun. There's not many guns pulled out in England, you know. When they are, that's it. But he relishes in that. He likes, you know, of, uh, of having that power and. Um, just trying to play things differently and having intelligence behind it. And of yeah, course, there's a whole thing, uh, an allegory for um, uh, the exploitation of ambition as well and, and, and with things of revenge. And, and it's also about the uh, the banking system, but written small as well. So there's lots of things going on there. I'm glad you said that, because that, uh, that was one thing that I was I thought was getting a bit carried away when I sort of concluded my review saying that the horror of modern capitalism gets its comeuppance. Yes. <laughs> no, that's what it's about. It really is about that, you know, but rather than do it all in... Well, that was the thing about um, Before Dawn. It was, it was a zombie apocalypse, but it wasn't about that. They were, an, they were an allegory for the collapse and disintegration of a relationship and a partnership, you know. So, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the, uh, one, on one level, you can enjoy it for what it is. Um, a thriller with uh, feminist kind of violent female revenge thriller, or you can look at it as the as the allegory that it is for the, for the banking system. No, no. So, I mean, what I did when I was doing the preview podcast, I was asking people to sort of to describe how their film was made up, and what I said to what I said to everyone was, if if a film was equal parts of the various elements you could have in a genre film, so yeah. if it was equal parts drama, scares, gore mystery psychological and comedy which one which how, what what's the what would you say the makeup is of your movie i suppose what in percentages or no, but just, well, yeah, you know, you don't be precise i'm not, it's not an exam but just thinking like no. you know what where, what you think <laughs> I know we've mentioned banking, but we don't need to get it down to the LIBOR rate. You're all right. No, I was thinking, well, 13% of that, but then of that 13%, 3% is it. <laughs> but, um, I, I think, um, well, obviously, it's like, um, 
I mean, I really, really love Ken Loach, and I think the the point of it was was going to be that it, you, you lull people into thinking they're watching this kind of uh, smart, smartly dialogued, um, gritty northern kind of drama comedy affair, mm. um, and, and and you, you show your hands of who, who's the victims, who's the who's the villains, and then. 20 minutes and you flip it on its head and all of a sudden you realise that, oh my God, the, the, the chap that I liked that was meek and mild isn't anymore and all of a sudden I didn't realise I was going to be watching a horror. Um, and, but just because of the effects putting them at the end, you know the chap that gets um, battered in the pub at the beginning? Yeah. Well, we, we didn't want to show our hand too quickly with that as well because you just want to, you want to kind of show that, there's, that you know, we're not doing effects. You know, he gets, he gets battered behind the pool table and you don't actually see it, you know, the yeah, sound yeah. effects are there but you think, you know, all right, yeah, you go like that. And then, but slowly, every time um, there's violence, then it, it, we show more and more. We don't take the camera off it. The special effects are brought in. Like so I suppose uh, it's made up of them different parts, yeah. But the, the allegory side of it was always really important. I don't ever want to make a film that isn't really an allegory for something else. Cause, um, no, no, I'm not, sure. I, I like concept films, you know, like uh, you know, like uh, Buried and things like that, which yeah. don't really, you know, but they, they've got an idea and they're going to follow it through. And um, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that I can't see myself making that. But even, I mean, even if you look at something like Buried, you know, there's a whole thing about about sending off people, private sector security people, to war zones. I mean, there's, that's still in that yeah. film, even though yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a man in the box. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in the in the scripting of this, I mean, you've you've told you've said to us that where where some of the inspiration come from for the for the yeah. storyline, but you know, what where what what did this film, what did this script start out as, and what were in terms of developing the script with um, with Paul um, Roundell? Roundell, Roundell, yeah. sorry. Um, what were the main sort of story challenges for you to resolve in the in the in the sort of execution of the whole script? Um, I suppose it's getting all the separate, like you said about it being made up of elements. It's getting all them correct and not. Um, you don't, want to, you don't want to get too many fingers in pies. You want to try and keep your eye on the main story arc. So whenever it got pulled away from that, because there was elements of uh, the French Revolution in there, and uh, like bits of quotes from Robespierre and things like that, you think, well, it's all right having bits. Of, as soon as you start bringing that in, then you, you, you've had it, really. <laughs> you, can't, mm. you can't bring too many things into it. So I think no matter how many strands you start pulling or you know loose bits of cotton, then uh, you, you don't want it to unravel too much. So, um, although it was it was very man- malleable, uh, and we, we we ended up cutting twenty minutes out of it, I think, in the middle. Oh right. Um, yeah. So I, I think there was a strong enough story arc there from the start that we could actually fiddle with that. Uh, sorry, the, the police are after me. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I've just thrown myself there. The police are just flying past me. It's all right. It's all right. But well, I think I think that's an issue for a lot for for um, for, for where films suffer is that they they try and cover too much ground. Whereas if you, you the great thing about what you've done with yours is is it, it delivers on the promise, which is it's you give us these two women, we we understand yeah. their dilemma, it gets absolutely trounced with with a horrible dilemma, and then it's how do they recover? Which initially it's they recover atrociously. And yeah. just get sort of ground into the dirt, don't they? Really, I think, for want of expression, and then yeah, I think um, I think keeping in with the, the um, thriller genre as well of, of realizing that you can't. I watched a film recently that it was all right, but he kept stopping um, to indulge certain shots or 
to show life in that community that you're showing it in. But we, we kind of wanted to get that done in the first half an hour. And then once they once they'd met in the shop and everyone had shown the hand, it had to go like a rocket. And that's where we lost 20 minutes. So we just thought, right, we'll throw them bits out. Like they went to a nightclub and the, the um, I think they took some drugs and it just showed more of their friendship and that. But it stopped the film for five minutes while we showed what they were like outside. Well, it, it can't be that. You know, it's a thriller. Once that once that's set up, you have to go like a rocket. There can't be a, there can't be a space anywhere. It has to fly. And so uh, I suppose that, and that that didn't really show in the script until we actually had the first edit that was nearly 110 minutes long. And uh, and that's where you, you realise, right, actually, you know, we better get this in shape, really. That's interesting that. It's interesting you say that that wasn't, on, that wasn't necessarily visible on the script, but obviously it became yeah. evident when you started put, putting it together. I listened to a podcast yeah. with um, Craig Mazan, an American screenwriter, and he talks yeah. about developing scripts, and he says that, you know, he says, the more you can do with your script that gets it off the page, whether that be like yeah. a workshop reading or, you know, filming little segments, he says, the more you're going to know what you need and what you don't need. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think that's what uh, Paul Rando was good at, because he writes a lot of dialogue, mm. but then he ends up throwing, so, like, the first bits he writes, he said, I've written all this, but then I've got to throw these bits out. And he ends up, like, finding out, you know, the wheat from the chaff and just getting rid of tons of it. And, mm. and he hides loads of plot... This is why I love his screenwriting, because he hides lots of plot points in the middle of kind of, like, witty, innocuous dialogue that you think you're just watching somebody doing this, but later on you realise, oh, that's that, because they said that. Mm. And uh, and I like that, you know, rather than stopping. And I saw, God, we watched some short films the other day, and they were being chased in a car, and they went, oh, no, we're being chased, I can't believe it. Said, I can see you being fucking chased, you know, you don't need to say it, you know. <laughs> I think getting rid of exposition or hiding exposition in a clever way is, is important. No. And so, what? I mean, was, was there much involvement between, sorry, collaboration between you and Paul, or was it so much Paul went away, wrote the script, and came back to you with the finished thing, and you just kind of gave notes, and that was it, or was it very, was it a much more closely worked thing? No, it was, it's, um, we've written it scene by scene as a story, but I okay. just haven't got the, uh, I'm not confident enough to write dialogue, and I'm not confident enough to hide the expositions as you talked about, and uh, so he, he knew the shape of it and the framework of it, and there was like, you know, 60-odd scenes, and in each scene this has to happen, and then he write them scenes, and then, and then uh, rejig it up, and then amalgamate some scenes into others, and move some bits around and do this, and you know, he just he just knows what he's doing. You know, he's a clever lad. So um, there wasn't much collaboration. No, he'd send the script. We'd change some bits, or like Metrodome would change some bits, or would say, "Well, can you can you um, zizzle up that little element of that?" So uh, yeah, it was it was there wasn't many drafts. You know, I mean, the draft we took to Cam was mm. maybe the third or fourth draft. Really, it was it was, it was fairly it was fairly painless. Well, look, when, when you got to that bit where you finished it and, you, you, you know, you're getting ready to produce the movie, um, yeah. on, on the page, looking at those scenes you had, and obviously yeah. acknowledge, acknowledging that finances and resources are finite, what, yeah. what to you as a director seemed to be the most sort of insurmountable of what you, had to, what you felt you had to get on camera? And, and what sort of creative solutions did you come up with to, to get to achieve what you wanted? Well, we were all right. We had a budget this time, so we knew that whatever we'd written would, could be made for this for X amount of money okay. and we asked Metrodon for that and, and they gave it so we, it, we didn't have the same as um, before dawn really where we, we, we didn't we knew we didn't have the money and so we, we kept it all in one house you know and that was our house you know yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and called on mates to do it. So uh, it, it was it's completely completely different uh, way of doing it. Of course, then there's a whole different set of problems as well because you're playing with other people's money, you know, and you have to deliver the script that's that's written. So um, yeah, scary, much more scary. Okay, so when you when you so, so what you mean is when you made Before Dawn, you had the flexibility yeah. to make decisions on the hoof if you thought something was or was not working. Whereas yeah, well, obviously, even at script, I think it, even at script level, uh, knowing that we didn't have the money, so writing it into this um, house where you know you, you could be walking on the hills or being a bus or be on the motorway or things like, that, just going, but well, we haven't got the money to do that, so and let's not hope we have. So because we wanted to, we already knew what the budget was for that, even when it was halfway through being written. Okay, because it's just because zombies were 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 big at the time, we needed to sell a zombie film, you know, so they said, well, if you'll make one, we'll buy it. So we're like, all oh, right, great. So, Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so what was uh, so when when it screened at Frightfest then? Obviously they're a yeah. they're a, they're a discerning genre crowd the uh, the Frightfesters as as it were. Yeah. Um, what was what was the reaction? Because you, obviously you you got to sort of see an audience reaction three times, don't you, at Frightfest with it this time? Yeah, it's brilliant, absolutely superb. I was so happy. We'd heard that in Cannes that it got uh, a, a big reaction and, and there was lots of interest. Um, in different regions and territories, I suppose they call that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we were hoping it would get that there. But, but as somebody said, look, if it fails in Trifest, it's going to fail anyway, because they're just so attentive and they, they love the tension and the gore. And so it was great. And they're very vocal as well. So there's gasps and cheers and clapping. And, and, and there's a certain point towards the end which you'll know about. Um, there's a certain uh, facial effect, shall we call it. And uh, and that was great. That was great hearing a big cheer as well. And you know, once it's, it's the death of the monster, isn't it? You know, when you, it's a monster film, really. And uh, but with humans as as the monsters, and, and we were hoping it would get that reaction. So it was great that once you kill the monster, everybody, goes, ah! you know. So I don't think it'll happen when people are watching it at home on the laptops. But it, you know, it has to be right. It was just brilliant, ultimately fulfilling. Yeah. And uh, and you and you were around at Fright Fest for for the weekend, weren't you? You you made you made. Uh... You made a full, a full, uh, a full horror trip of it. Yeah, I'm always at Frightfest. I love Frightfest. I've been going for years and years and years. So I'm always there watching whatever, whatever they've got. Really, you know, there's always a bumper year. As well. There's always a film that's a stand-up film. Last year was Babadook, which I loved, and then uh, I loved it. And I just talked about it the other time when I met you as well. Like you're at Sleep Time, which is just mm. absolutely incredible. So there's always something to get you as well. But what was what was your uh, what was your of the of the fifteen or so films you got to see them? What was your yeah. what was your find of Fright Fest for yourself? I really loved Slumlord. I thought that was incredible. Uh, I, I really got into it. And then you walking out, going, that was amazing. And somebody decided, oh, well, that was a lot of shit. So you don't. So it's hard to tell. Everything's objective, isn't it? And then I saw something called Royal Games, which I thought was appalling. And the people coming out in tears, you're thinking, you must have seen a completely different film. It's just objective, isn't it? I suppose it's subjective. It's. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's weird. And what else? Uh, Rabid Dogs was fantastic. Really, really like that. Did you Did you know the original, the Mario Bar? Because I didn't when I watched that, and I still no, I didn't. No, I, no, I have to say, I even nodded when you said, "Of course, it's an original. Uh, it's, a, it's a remake." And I was nodding if I knew what I was talking about, but yeah. I didn't. Really. I just it's just with the horror horror um, audience. You want to pretend that you know more than the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I just well, tried this, you know. I had no idea. <laughs> I I really I thought it was fantastic that and that's oh, great. And the sting in that tale is, uh, and I never saw it coming. I mean, one of my friends claimed he guessed it, and I'm thinking, how did you no, guess it? No chance, not on this earth, no way. Now, I mean, as a comparison, obviously, because you 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 work, you act in TV. Um, yeah. How 
And I mean, I, I've not, I've only done like, I've only ever done extra work in TV and film, so it's like, but yeah. I did, I did notice the difference right away. The, the film is, is, is a much slower, considered way of making moving images. I mean, how, how does it feel for you yeah. going from the director to, from the actor to director, and also the leap from well, TV to film? Well, that's what I'm only acting because, because uh, uh, I'm a film obsessive. You know, so that's how I became an actor. So. Uh, directing seems like a natural progression to me, and, yeah. uh, and I, I think, and I've always said that, especially with the script lines, um, it, it, film is definitely a visual medium more than anything else. And I always think that it goes from radio is just talk, 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 talk. talk. Television is plenty of talk, plenty of exposition, and then um, with the, the pictures to go along with it. But film, you're telling it visually, and you're you're trying to say as little as you possibly can. But then the opposite can be. As well. I mean, you watch a David Mamet from like uh, is it Wag the Dog, and they just never shut up, you know. So mm. I suppose whatever you say, there is a, there's a contradiction to it. But um, yeah, it's a visual medium. That's why we got um, a review that really annoyed me. Said, um, "Oh yeah, there are soap elements to this." And you think, "Oh fuck off!" You know, if I wasn't in the soap, you wouldn't have said that. You know, so lazy though, isn't it? You know, I don't watch soaps. You know, I watch films. So why why would you say that? It's just the laziest journalism I've ever come across. So annoying. Well, I mean, I, I, I thought you, the, it's, it's interesting you, you, the, the, the political allegory you were trying to make with the banking system and the way people can and <laughs> cannot borrow money. Because um, I definitely saw, I mean, I, I'm from North Manchester, so, you know, Bury and all I know, yeah, it's all right, those yeah. kind of areas. So I know, I know, and I've been to Todmorden tons of times, so I know that kind of post, yeah. post-industrial area where... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm from Accrington. I, was, I, was, I grew up as a welder and I've been in there and... I was, um, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was saying that you can watch the scariest horror in the world, you might not sleep for an hour, but when I was in debt, you know, I, I had nothing to sweat for a good six months, you know, I was I was terrified at night, I didn't know what was going to happen with my future, you know, you think, this is never, ever, ever going to write itself, and it's truly, truly frightening, you know, and there are, of course there are people there to exploit that, and as I said before, it's, a, it's um, an allegory for, uh, oh, it's not an allegory for it, but, um, you know, it's, it's about the exploit of ambition you know so well, that's what you're saying the ambition bit is really is really is that the idea of the ambition bit is interesting because their ambition is really modest isn't it it's like they just want their own place outside yeah. of the market they don't want to rule the world no but any ambition can be exploited and, and, and usually like even when i wanted to become an actor you know, i know people that, that wanted to be actors as well and came across actors and you didn't there's no um there's, there's you can get schooling in acting and, and, and they'll charge you whatever to, to the earth but nobody will ever turn around to you and say ah, you can't act I can't take this money off you you know there, there are people that shouldn't be ticketing acting that are because they're, they're there to exploit their, these people's ambitions you know they, of course they will tell them that they can act and, uh, I think um, yeah, that's just that's just one example but you know what, well, no, 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 it exists it exists it exists in writing all over the show yes there are, there are umpteen yes. million retreats that promise to get your Get your trick, get you fired up to write, and blah blah blah. And it's like yeah. the yeah. question you should so ask yourself. That, yeah. yeah, the question you should ask yourself is: if you can't get yourself to motivated to write, then you're probably not going to be a writer. It isn't about no, no. going off to a caravan on the east coast. No, <laughs> no I've always said that. You, you can tell writers because writers can't help it. They've got dreams and stories. Doesn't matter if they get books or not. They can't help themselves with book writing, you know, and then. And you can tell a non-writer, that <laughs> joke about writing, he said, I'm a writer, and the other fan leaves a writer, he goes, oh my God, neither am I, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, <laughs> there, are, there are plenty of people that want to be writers, but you just know a writer, you can't help it, it's a compulsion, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. Now, you've got in your, 
in your, in your supporting cast, there's a few recognisable faces, and uh, yeah. obviously Charlie. Charlie's and this this is this affords me no spoilers because we can talk about Charlie Chuck in the in the opening yeah. the opening sequences because he sure. he actually I mean he helps establish quite a lot really despite. Yeah. Despite what is kind of like a cheeky comedy role, but I think, like I said to you at, yeah. at Frightfest, is I've never heard him speak straight in my life, so it threw me sideways watching him. Yeah, yeah, oh, how was, amazing. How was, how was yeah. it, can you can you talk about how he was to direct? Well, he was nervous. He was really, really, really nervous, and he he, he, he couldn't really. He, he was in bits, you know. And he, we just we just said, look, worry, we'll we'll just go over it and over it and over it. We won't press record until you're happy I and mean, even if then if you don't like what you've done we'll do it again don't worry about it so I think once he got used to that that he wasn't actually on stage for the first time it wasn't in front of people which is what he was used to uh, then he was alright you know because he's used to either live telly or live performing and uh, he just didn't have to worry about it so it, once he got over that he was alright and also working with Vicky and she was just she's just an arch piss taker so she just laid into him. He was giggling away, and he was—he was fine. He was absolutely fine in the end. But um, yeah, he was very nervous, and he was great. You know, you just said, "Well, you just get rid of the lines, say what you'd say." So he was kind of rewriting it as he went along as well, and doing little bits and putting his own voice to it. Well, um, probably best to tell people when when when's it going to be released? Then I mean, we, we're after breakfast now, so what's the release date for uh, for Ben? It's, it, it's pretty soon after. I think it's in cinemas this week. Yeah. Uh, so this week, because we're on a podcast, people could be listening to this anytime. Yeah. So we're, we're now oh, doing right, this yeah. on the first of September. So yeah, the week of September, it's in, I think it's cinemas this week and next week. Okay, cool. Uh, but like limited theatrical release. So there's, there's like a handful of places in London and then dotted around the country. I think it's the picture houses. I think have got it. Okay, cool. Um, so it's like, like like Basingstoke and uh, York and uh, these places. Uh, I've got to get a list. I will get a list. Okay. And then, it, then it's got a DVD release on the seventh of September, and that'll be everywhere. That's uh, and on, on iTunes, sort of the Amazon uh, also has the Sainsbury's, Tesco's, all that, like you know. So, um, yeah, it gets a big release. And then um, next month, it, as it's LA, it, we're premiering in LA, and then it comes out in America at the end of October as well. So, uh, I think each region will come out separately. And then we've got Japan, rest of Europe, Australia. Uh, yeah, and so it'll be kind of creeping out like that. But then again, you know, it's, it's the problem of the pirating. You know, what, what do you do once it's out in this country? It's available on the internet. So, Indeed. But, uh, Japanese don't seem to mind that because they still like having the object and the ownership. What's what's the um, what feedback have you had from the states for it? Because it's like because we we we're, we're we're used to seeing a plethora of sort of small town American revenge yeah. style stories, and obviously this is a very British version of events like that? I think, uh, well, they, they kept saying two reviews said they didn't need subtitles. They liked it. They really liked mm. it. Liked the gore, liked the thing. They liked the fact that Vicky's in it. I mean, thank God for Vicky's face. <laughs> so she's in uh, Once Upon a Time over there, mm. uh, which is quite big, playing Cruella Deville, and she's been in The yeah, Mentalist, yeah. and she's also done Dracula, the, uh, is it ABC, for ABC or NBC? Okay. Um, she did that. So she's, she's a fair old name over there, and uh, she's just done a couple of films so we've known for years, and it's, it's Joel's best mate, right. which is great. And we didn't have to rehearse that all with all the rehearsals because there's already a love there and a history there. So that was great. Uh, but but yeah, they've, they've, uh, I think because they like her, that's that's helped us get it out there as well. Because she's got fans. I mean, she tweets one thing, and um, then you just get God knows how many thousands of uh, Americans going, "Oh, I love you! Oh, look at her!" Oh. Sorry, that wasn't that was meant to be my American accent. Brett, you're really showing off your acting credentials there. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. My mom says, you know, I know. So, I mean, in terms of the, in terms of the, um, you're right. The 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 the, the on screen chemistry between um, between between Joe and uh, and Vicky is is really strong. How much yeah. of that is sort of tightly scripted, and how much did you let the two of them go when you were directing them? It was all tightly scripted. It's all Paul's uh, dialogue. The only person that changed any dialogue was uh, was 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 uh, David Keir, Charlie Chuck. Okay. Um, just to help him along the way, but uh, I think she changed a couple of colloquial colloquialisms, um, just because uh, uh, Paul was trying to write for a, a person and he knew Vicky and knew of her. And uh, but the Irish side of things is just the occasional structure of a line she would change and say, "You know, would you mind if I change this?" But uh, okay. it was pretty much exactly as the script is, because uh, we had to do the dialogue transcription for. Um, uh, for the DVD release for the subtitles and it was funny you know, it, we thought we'd have to type it all out and actually we were just cutting and pasting the script it was that it was oh, that that's good. That's, that takes a lot of the hassle yeah. doesn't it yeah it said it's two grand actually somebody said well, I'll do that for two grand I was like well I'll, I'll do it then. But, <laughs> it's got 24 hours by a laptop with my tongue hanging out with one finger tapping away yeah I've done, I've done a 20 minute short film and that was enough I yeah. fancy doing a feature <laughs> gee whiz gee whiz yeah. um, what, what yeah, can, I mean just, just as a as someone that is an actor and then going behind the camera as a director, what kind? Mm. How do you? What concessions do you give the actors, knowing you, you're you're in that position yourself quite often when you're directing? Mm. How do you get? How do you try and get the best out of them, knowing presumably what you want when you're when you're acting? Well, I know what actors are like. So you can't really you can't really get away with anything because I'm an actor myself and I know all the tricks. Mm. But um, I did. I said to each person before they came, and also in the audition, so that, and I've recorded the auditions as well, that apart from Vicky and Jonathan, but even then I went to see Jonathan down at the RSC and I had to explain to him that, look, we've got these shot lists, we've got this amount of time to do it, in, and we've got this budget. This film can be absolutely, you know, we, we will film it the way we want it to be made, mm. uh, for good or bad, as long as, if you stand where I tell you to stand, I've got this really nice camera move um, that I'll be happy with, and it'll look good, but... If you say, I will stand there on that bit, but I'm sure I'd move over there on that bit, then it's going to take time, it's going to be this, that, and the other. And, uh, and they all said, okay, then, right, that's fine. All right, we will stand where you want us to stand as long as we can spend time talking about the ins and outs and rehearsing and, and the, the way they're going. So they were in charge of what, how they were going to say it yeah, as yeah, a conversational yeah. piece between the actors, but um, on the proviso that they would stand exactly where I wanted them to stand and move when I wanted them to move because we had like an 18-foot slider, we'd hide a Steadicam man for a few of the days. And, uh, you know, we did, I didn't want to do that thing with, um, we don't, we'd already done it before, before dawn, and it didn't want any shaky cam. The only time we used shaky cam was if there was a fight happening, and then we'd, of course. even then it'd be on top of the shoulder, I'm just sick of shaky cam, I wanted it to be still and considered and, uh, you know, use the moves and let the uh, dialogue uh, you'd be the impetus for these camera moves, and, and also having Jeff Boyle on board. You know, he, he just doesn't mess about. He's, he's a genius. He's been going for years and years and years, and you know, we, we wanted to utilise his skills as well. And I didn't want to look stupid either, so we wanted to have plenty of time to do that. Okay, I mean, that's an interesting. That's an interesting way of going about it. Is to basically say we haven't got a great deal of flexibility. I understand that's going to cause some tension for you, but go with it. Yeah, and yeah. we'll get a good film. And that's and that's. It's almost like a statement of a surety, isn't it, really, in some senses? I think so. I and mean, it wasn't just standing there for no reason. I kind of put it of across course. in my head and thought, well, they would move there for that, and that would move there for that. But more importantly, the camera would move there for that, you know. And uh, 
it just, uh, yeah, I just, it was just important that it looked good. I really wanted it to look good and, and look um, and do it justice, you know, and, and then show off and that you don't care. I think, I think looking, done. I think looking good is. Be, I mean, it sounds a daft thing to say about visual media, but um, mm. looking good seems to be like a, a, a love, a, a nice growing trend at the moment. I think we've kind of we've got over the novelty of the fact that we can with there's lightweight cameras you can throw under a chair and still film but actually what do you yeah, think yeah I don't know but there's no art with it you know no I mean, exactly that's what I'm saying so now I think there seems to be a move of this more considered thing where clearly a director and his and his or her cinematographer are going to collaborate to make it look great <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I mean, and as you said, it's a visual medium, you know. And also the, the over-the-shoulder bit, all you can do is get a wide shot of medium and then do the cross-shoot uh, with the close-ups and they're just, you know, then some pickups for hands and little bits of business and it, it just doesn't interest me that. And I'd rather think, right, you know, this shot is from this and, you know, watching lots and lots of films and going, oh, yeah, that filming, that, oh, that bit in that, you know, it'd be great if we had one of them, you know, and that would fit that scene and, you know, not trying to contrive it, but um, certainly using your influences as, as a film fan. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, if, did, did you get to see We Are Still Here? Yeah. I mean, he, he was in the Q&A afterwards. He was, he was sort of hands up, you know, Lucia Fulci was a massive influence on me and I really yeah. wanted to have sort of long, lingering shots to the point that you're uncomfortable. Yeah, and the music on that as well just absolutely lifted it as well. That was such an integral part of that film as well. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Is, is, there, an ob- is there an obvious influence for you as a director or an obvious influence... For bait the movie that that you could say. Not not really, maybe Ken Loach. I'm, I'm I am a bit of a Ken Loach obsessive in that. Even okay. from the, the old black and white stuff and the the rougher stuff for the BBC. But um, I think I, I like his I like his way of working. But I'm, I'm even I'm kind of less handheld in that. We were trying to be unapologetically commercial okay. um, with this and, and just try and make it. Uh, like a you know a posh film, <laughs> so um, yeah, no, not really. Anything I watch, absolutely anything. I, 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 there's no particular director or anything like that. There's lots and lots of directors. I watch too many films, and maybe the European style of doing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, one last question for you that I ask. I've asked everybody yeah. because Fright Fest has sort of took me all around the world with directors. So, but um, yeah. can you tell? And this could be the hardest question of the lot, actually, for you. Um, what's what's your favourite British horror movie? British. Mm. Oh. Just you know, like a uh, is it uh, Peter or Paul Walker? Oh, Thingy Walker, um, Walker, the House of Whipcord, and yeah, things yeah. like that were, were brilliant. You know, that sort of that time. Oh, um, oh specifically. Oh, I had a normally right. Hang on. You might have to cut this bit out. Yeah, we're, ooh, ooh, we're, reco- we're recording, not broadcasting, Dominic. So if you, yeah. want to, if you want to think about it for two minutes or so and yeah. make some notes, whatever, have a think. See, my favourite favorite film of all time, British yeah. or anything, is uh, is Whistle Down the Wind. Okay. Um, hands down, but it's not a horror. Uh, if you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Can you? T- I've asked everybody. Can you tell me what your favourite British horror movie is? Between um, American Werewolf in London mm-hmm. and uh, I think it'd have to be From Beyond the Grave, the Amicus oh, anthology. Fantastic. I recently rewatched yeah. that with my dad, actually. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's oh, it is. I managed to get a VHS copy. I started rebuying VHS stuff, uh, Big Box. Oh, right. Um, VHSs and uh, like Deadly Spawn and uh, stuff like that. Um, 
oh, I'm really good at Manchester Morgan. I mean, does that does that count? Does that? I suppose it's um, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's like is it like an Italian film with Spanish finance filmed in? England in Manchester or something like that, isn't it? I don't know what well, it was. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, some, like. pe- some people gave me pelters for for saying that American Werewolf in London can be included. I did, I did, a, I did a list where we got the Britflix readers to vote on it, and I got pelters mm. for including it as an option. But I, I, I kind of, I know it's an American studio picture, but it feels so iconically British. Because I mean, I mean, the argument is you wouldn't call Third Man an Austrian movie, would you? And, I, no, and no. I get the logic, but I still feel like American Wolf of London is a British movie. <laughs> but then, would you call Picnic at Hanging Rock an Australian movie or an English movie? Then? Well, this is this is the kind of it's, it's a never-ending kind of argument. You could just yeah. there, are, there are ongoing exceptions, aren't there, to, to prove or disprove this rule? Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's called a can of worms, but um, I think I'm going to stick with uh, From Beyond the Grave. Okay, that's, that's yeah. a solid choice. Now let's remind people then yeah. when when and when and how can people see the movie? Uh, bait, you can see, uh, anybody can buy it or rent it, uh, mm-hmm. from iTunes or anywhere, all the usual outlets, um, from the 7th of September. Fantastic. And I thoroughly suggest you go and see it. <laughs> it's good that the director can recommend that. We're, we're fully behind yeah, you yeah, yeah. Flicks too, as well, a British well, film. You could tell it, I didn't, my, kind of, my heart went out of it at the end because I thought, oh, that sounds like you're trying to sell something in you yeah if you're, if, you're american, if you're american you'd have pissed that but being british <laughs> we're kind of like buy, buy me movie well, I, got, I got to halfway through you got to thoroughly and then i kind of went oh no you can't you know they'll say it but then i have to finish it so it's kind of just pathetic but yeah sorry See, that, that. that's where you, if you the thing is if you'd have been from yorkshire you would have said you would have said anything it wouldn't matter yeah. it? it's the only exception <laughs> in the whole country say what you like and like what you say yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> well, look, thank you, thank you very much for taking the time to come on the Britflix podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for a kind review, intelligently written, and just really thank you. Just made our day. We were bouncing around the room when we read that. Thank you. You're, you're, you're very, very welcome. You're very welcome. Yeah, I'm glad you understood it as well, and, uh, and, and, and you got all the nuances as well. So well done, you. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.